This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. A landmark deal was reached after two weeks of talks in Montreal at the COP15 UN Biodiversity Summit, where almost 200 countries agreed to a new set of goals and targets to, quote-unquote, halt and reverse biodiversity loss by the end of the decade. So the final idea included something that we've been discussing often, the 30 by 30 target to conserve 30% of the world's land and 30% of the ocean by 2030. What does this all mean? So I'm going to dissect what went down at the talks with Julian Hyde, the general manager of ReefCheck Malaysia, and Jasmine Mohamed Saad, a policy consultant with ReefCheck Malaysia. This is our final episode of our monthly series, Biodiversity for Malaysia, you know, which we started uh, uh, in 2022, which aimed to get everyone on the same page when it came to end of everything biodiversity related, especially on issues surrounding the Convention on Biological Diversity post-2020 framework process. The 30 by 30 target, we're going to discuss all of that and more. Welcome both of you. How are you today? Very well, thank you, Julia. Yep, I'm good. Happy New Year, Juliet. Happy New Year to the both of you. First Earth Matters of the Year. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Really good to have you both here. So yes, um, yeah, we didn't really cover it when it came out, but you know, the talks concluded, uh, I mean, happened and concluded in December. Uh, and of course, you know, the, that final deal, I think, was reached in the early hours of uh, 19th of December. And it, uh, you know, included that very, very uh, oft-repeated, especially by us, that headline target of 30 by 30, an ambition to conserve 30% of the world's land and 30% of the ocean by 2030. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what went down. You know, what do you think were some of the, perhaps, let's start with the wins. What what would you say were some of the biggest wins from COP15? I think, so from my perspective, it would be that we actually got a, we actually got a treaty agreed. Mm, mm. Um, You know, it it, it could have all gone wrong. Uh, There could have been, you know, no agreement at all. It was extremely unlikely, but at least there's something. So we now have on paper the 30 by 30 target, um, we have agreements on funding, mobilizing funding. Uh, there are guidelines on uh, implementation and what needs to be done next. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of good in there, no question. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the the good side. The neg- the bad, I don't know. There's no there's no real downside to this. Okay. I think mm-hmm. um, there are some there are some areas that still perhaps need some clarification. Some of the targets are a bit long. Uh, I think some of the negotiations were were such that uh, a lot of caveats were included, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of weakens the targets a little bit in some ways. But I would still go back to we have a treaty. We have, for example, target three, 30 by 30. It's on paper. It's agreed. There are caveats. But basically, it now says we need to move forward and protect 30% of the world's oceans. And it also makes it clear that that is a global target, not a national target. So there's clarity on that major issue as well. I don't know, Jasmine, you, you've read this from a policy perspective. How would you how would you respond? Yeah, I guess um, it's a good step back to see what had happened during the negotiations to understand why um, there were some disagreements. Uh, most of it were coming from the developing countries mm-hmm. um, and the main issues were um, how they would be able to implement it financially and technically before committing um, to a set target. So um, if some of you guys have been following in, it was a very tight and difficult, challenging negotiation process that took into the wee hours. Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, finally, they have agreed to come uh, to an agreement to target three, 
with like what Julian say with um, additional um, so to say conditions in terms of its implementation is uh, financial um, support because initially uh, most of the developing countries were were um, against it because uh, they were suggesting for a separate trust fund where the developed countries were not agreeable to. So the, the compromise uh, were, was that um, the, the fund would be managed by the Global Environment Fund, GEF, mm -hmm. and that did not go down well with the developing countries as well. So finally, they've come to a compromise that there's a special trust fund to be managed by the GEF um, so it's a separate special trust fund to implement the GBF. And um, sorry, Jasmine, yeah. I, could I interrupt and just ask? You know why <laughs> they weren't happy with it? Why you know what what was it that they were not happy about the developing countries? Because initially, um, the developed countries wanted the fund to go through uh, the GEF, yeah, uh, the Global Environmental Fund, and. Um, as most people who are familiar with the GF mechanism, it can take a long time, mm. um, and the accessibility is not as easy. Um, you have to have buy-in from governments um, to be able to apply, right. and there's a lot of um, paperwork bureaucracy that that's linked to it. Okay. Um, so that's why the developing countries were suggesting for a dedicated trust fund for that. Right. So they have come to a compromise that, okay, this special trust fund will be uh, initially managed and set up by the GEF, and then they will take it from there, whether or not they would, uh, is this a separate board? And, um, so the mechanism to be to be discussed by for now will be assisted by GEF uh, to set up a, a separate trust fund, but still under the GEF, but it doesn't go through the usual GEF um, processes. So the amount that they, they have committed so far would be uh, 200 billion US dollar per year from the developed countries to the developing countries uh, when they are needed. It is well below the anticipated amount um, that some people have quoted 500 billion, but at least it's a start. It's always that, isn't it? At least it's a start. <laughs> Sorry, Julian. Yeah. You wanted to yeah, say something? I, 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 I think I think what Jasmine's just been explaining indicates the the complexity of what we're talking about. Let's I mean there's 23 targets on paper and we keep talking about the 30 by 30 target as though it's a done deal. It's an easy thing to just protect 30 percent, right? Yeah, yeah. But then the devil, as they say, is in the details. Mm -hmm. um, and and when you start to say, okay, where's the money coming from? What is the delivery mechanism? Who's going to pay for it? And all of that, it's the Agreeing the targets is one thing, but the, the implementing it is 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 another thing altogether. Um, yeah. And uh, and as Jasmine said, you know, it's going through this mechanism. There's not as much as we thought there would be. So, yeah, we have a we have a we have a treaty, but implementing it over the next few years is going to be very interesting. So, so I was reading that the a second thirty by thirty goal also made it into the final package with developed countries agreeing to mobilize thirty billion dollars for developing countries by twenty thirty. Is that the one that you're talking about, Jasmine? Probably, but there, there are quite a few numbers being quoted around, ah. so things are very not clear whether it's included under that two hundred billion dollars. So I think they'll have further talks in terms, especially with GM. They will call for separate meetings for this. There is actually a second 30% target, which is um, that by 2030, 30% of degraded areas should be under restoration. 
uh, in the earlier drafts, I think that figure was 20%. Ah, so that has also gone. I think people have gone crazy on the 30 thing. Um, <laughs> so we've got a lot of 30s included. But yes, um, there, there is also a suggestion that uh, the, the funding from rich to poor countries should be at least 30 billion US dollars by 2030. Okay, okay. And this is alongside the other funds as well. So it's all, there's a lot of, okay, there's a lot of talk about funding, but is it legally binding? Is this legally binding? You know, is there like a sort of like a way that we can hold the developed countries accountable if they don't provide the finance, those sorts of things? So the agreement is not legally binding, Okay, which, which is, of course, one of, one of the weaknesses. But uh, governments will be held to task by preparing national biodiversity plans and uh, agreeing nationally determined contributions, um, which will be enshrined in national uh, biodiversity policies. So Malaysia has a national a national policy on biodiversity, mm-hmm. um, which is now being reviewed and will take into account the deliberations during COP15 and the targets agreed. So we will Malaysia will now look at how much areas land and sea areas, it will decide to protect within its own national policy on biodiversity. I think it's currently at 10%. Um, this was this was the earlier earlier draft. Uh, whether that will be increased to reflect the 30%, we don't know. Uh, I suspect not. There's no particular reason we should do that anyway. Um, okay. But uh, that that's now, st- that's, that's all kind of the fallout from COP is, oh, well, we agreed this, how do we actually make that happen yeah. on a national basis? Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's throw in a couple of other targets, like the the, the the agreement to include Indigenous people and local communities, right? Um, which I think is target 22. How do we make that happen? Uh, you know, what are the, 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 the agreements we can make to allow participation by local communities and in, Indigenous peoples, IPLCs, in management of protected areas, mm. um, which is something that we are particularly keen on. Um, you know, we do a lot of work with local communities on the islands off the east coast, for example. Um, and our experience suggests that they want to be involved, and getting them involved is a useful thing. But there's no, there are no strong mechanisms to to allow it to happen. You know, there's no there's no requirement for government to make it happen. So if we're going to meet target 22, we have to put those mechanisms in place. So again, we have an agreement and it says in target 22 that IPLC should be consulted and involved. But making it happen is, uh, is, is what we need to look at now. Okay, but there was, I think, I mean, from what I was reading, there was a lot of pressure from uh, IPLCs and that sort of like resulted in this recognition of um, indigenous and traditional territories and, you know, uh, respect to the rights of the indigenous people and local communities over their traditional territories. And that's something that was quite new, right? Um, or, or was added into the into the final text. I think it came out during the later stages of the negotiations, yeah. Over the last few months of last year, it's one of the things that emerged quite strongly and it is now enshrined in in the, in the treaty in, in one of the targets. So, um, I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's it's, it's a weakness that's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not a new issue, but I think it did it it, it raised in profile. It raised it. You know, it, it, people acknowledged it as important, more important um, as uh, as the negotiations were going on. So I'm very happy that it's included in the treaty. Mm-hmm. Like I said, let's see how we can make it happen. 
Okay. Okay. Let's just go for a quick break and then let's come back and discuss some some other positive and maybe not so positive outcomes from <laughs> COP15. I'm speaking today to Julian Hyde. He's the general manager of Reef Check Malaysia and Jasmine Mohamed Saad. She's a policy consultant with Reef Check Malaysia. It's a final episode of our series, Biodiversity for Malaysia, which, you know, we wanted to get everyone on board uh, when it came to all things biodiversity related. And of course, you know, we've been talking about the 30 by 30, 30 target a lot, but mostly we wanted to talk about the Convention on Biological Diversity post-2020 framework process. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's the final episode of our series Biodiversity for Malaysia, which aims to get everyone on the same page when it comes to all things biodiversity related, especially on issues surrounding the Convention on Biological Diversity, the post-2020 framework process and all of that. So COP15 just concluded last month over in Montreal. Uh, they did come up with a new agreement. Uh, it looks very good on paper. Uh, we're hoping that, you know, there will be some follow-up to it and, the, you know, the actual implementation of everything that's there. So before the break, we were talking about some of the, um, uh, I guess, the positive points, but also some of the not-so-positive points. So in terms of, you know, yes, where's the finance going to come from? Um, in terms of, like, Malaysia's uh, Malaysia's response to the uh, COP, uh, to COP15, right? I mean, what would you say? We've got a new minister, uh, uh, environment minister. Um, you know, what was our response to, to what went down in Montreal? Uh, Jasmine? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. If I, yeah. So, um, although the minister, our new minister, Nick Nasmi, was not present, uh, but I guess he's being appraised of the situation and he has come up with a statement that um, the implementation of the GBF uh, must be supported by guidance documents as well as um, adequate technical and financial assistance from the CBD Secretariat and other developed countries. So, this mirrors what other developing countries are, are saying all this while. And also, in, in addition to that, on the positive side of things, um, there is sort of like a position um, that the results from this negotiation um, will be assessed and translated into our current national um, biodiversity um, policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's, it's coming to an end by 2025, so I think this, this process of revising it is in place. So I guess um, that would be a... Uh, a window where <clears throat> this uh, new COP15 uh, decisions and the GBL will be in, uh, will be inserted in. So I guess that's 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 the first standing from the new ministry that we have now um, called Natural Resources, Environment and Climate Change uh, Ministry. I'll take that as a positive point. <laughs> okay. No, that is good. I mean, yeah, some a formal sort of response to it, right? Um, NRECC, right? That's the new name of the ministry. Uh, sorry, Julian, you wanted to say something? No, no, I was uh, I was just listening to, to Jasmine. Yeah, I think there is actually a new draft of the policy going through to 2030 now. Uh, the original, the, the, the version from 2016 to 2025 was being updated as mm. a sort of a, through to 2030 to reflect the the, the negotiations ongoing under COP, it just got delayed like everything else did by the pandemic, uh, as the, the conference itself got uh, got delayed by a couple of years. Yeah. So I think that that draft is has that, that draft has been prepared. It's now a question of plugging in these new numbers, like we said, um, but also more importantly, not just put the numbers in the policy, but work out how to do it. Um, you know, where's the money coming from? Uh, what what sources of international funding are going to be available? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we going to actually implement these things? How are we going to protect more of our waters and our, and our terrestrial areas? How are we going to reduce pollution? Um, how are we going to 
address the question of harmful subsidies. So a lot of different things need to be done. Um, and it's good to see Nick Nazmi, the minister, talking about doing it. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. Um, I think one of one thing that we're very conscious of is that we can't do these things overnight. You know, we're not yeah. can't expect this to happen in the next 12 months. I think we would look at trying to set an eight-year timescale in place framework. Uh, let's not try and pretend we can do this quickly. Let's say, okay, in the first year, we will look at this topic, like uh, a mechanism for involving local communities, right? Mm. And then in year two, we will look at such and such a topic and, and plan it over a number of years. Um, we uh, we we looked ourselves at how we can you know, address issues in the marine field, um, and I think we said the conservation bit's going to have to wait a few years because first we have to do some mapping and some some ground truthing and some baselining so that we know, yeah, with the treaty says thirty percent, you know, protect thirty percent of our marine areas. We've had that conversation. It's not a national target. It's it's a, but we need to look at it. So first of all, where are those resources? You know, if we're going to if we're going to conserve, uh, sorry, if we're going to restore thirty percent of degraded ecosystems, where's the degraded ecosystems? Yeah. What thirty percent do we want to degrade? So I think you know a really good start would be a kind of a, a national con conversation with different people, different experts, different in different areas to say, well, in our area, we think the best approach is to do this first. And then you've got concrete steps you can take towards achieving the target itself so that by 2030, we can have protected all of our important marine biodiversity because we know where it is now, because we have a map of where it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we've actually gone out and spent a year or two doing that ground truth thing. Uh, and then talking to stakeholders uh, for a couple of years and say, okay, well, how do you use it? You know, where do you, where do you use it? Where, where are the areas that you use? Um, and then talk about how we can protect it, how we can manage it best. Um, you know, we've talked about the islands off the east coast, for example. We know we know there are coral reefs around those, so we know that they're in managed areas because they're all marine parks. Okay, can we improve the management of that? Let's have a look at that. That's one aspect. But then there's all of the unsurveyed reefs off the east coast um, that we kind of know are there, kind of. You know, there are charts to show that there are shallow areas which one can hypothesize might have coral reefs. There is some work being done like by IIUM uh, on doing surveys of those areas, but we need to do some more. Mm -hmm. So that's a concrete first step. Let's go and do the surveys. While we're there, let's go and talk to the fishermen about how much they use them, what the catch is like, what the seasonality is like, and how it will affect their incomes and so on and so forth. So you've got a map of what's there. You've got a map of the stakeholder uses. And you can say, okay, what's the best way to manage this area? You know, should it be in a formal protected area? Is the room for one of these uh, OECMs, uh, other effective conservation measures? Uh, but it's a, you know, we can't do all of that in year one. So let's plan to achieve it by year 2030. Long term planning. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, all of that also requires, I mean, that requires a lot of funding as well, isn't it, to see those things happening as well. So there's that question of, well, where's that funding going to come from to ensure all these uh, very important steps are taken uh, before we can actually start, you know, getting to work, isn't it? Yes, and this is, um, I, I think, the ministry government needs to look to, to, to start needs to start having some serious conversations with people about where that money is coming from. We talked about the uh, the Global Ocean Alliance and the High Ambition Coalition before, yeah. uh, which Malaysia didn't join. Fair enough, understood, didn't join, but might join now if those are a potential source of funding, for example. 
Um, there are a lot of conversations going on in the financial industry um, about you know their obligations. Uh, I've been doing some reading about a couple of the uh, about uh, some of the big funding uh, organizations, and they are talking now about how they can start to uh, put finance on the table. So the Finance for Biodiversity Pledge, for example, which is signed by over 110 financial institutions, um, which have 16 trillion euros in assets, is looking at, uh, is calling on global leaders to protect and restore biodiversity. And they are looking at how they can put money onto the table. So maybe we should go and talk to some of those guys. You know, we, the, the, I think, I know it's easy to say, Julia, and we have so we've said a couple of times that the implementation is going to be complex. But yeah. we need some people who can do the talking to the local communities. We need some people who can do some mapping. We need some people to look at what local skills are available. And we need some people to go out to the financial markets and say, "Give us some funding." But I think if we've put some of those other things in place, like the mapping, and we have a plan, I think perhaps it will be a bit easier to go and talk to financial institutions and say, "There's our plan," right? give us some money to do this because we have specific plans and targets and goals and, you know, uh, um, uh, metrics, me measurements so that we can say, this is what we're trying to do. So maybe we need a better, slightly better plan than we have at the moment. I don't know. I could be being unfair to the ministry who are looking at, you know, updating the, the national policy on biodiversity. There's a difference between a policy and a plan. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you. Um, Jasmine, anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, Julian was saying about mapping itself. When when there is a like um, um initiative to start um thinking of um uh, determining where our resources are normally is in the in the form of like for example state of the environment. So and then when you delve deeper into it, trying to find any research papers or studies that have been done, you find pockets of um researches that's uh, uh, that's been done by universities. So. Normally, it's not all comprehensive. It's like bits and pieces everywhere along the coastline. So what we would like to see would be a more comprehensive and updated um, sort of like a state of the environment of the peninsula Malaysia and Sabah and Sarawak. So that obviously uh, requires a lot of financial funding. But if you go deeper into other ministries, for example, Mosti and other uh, the new ministry, they have their own internal funding for universities to conduct research and studies so we can we could tap into that uh, that's one suggestion and then um, provide a guideline for these universities to do research in certain areas because at the moment um, it, it really hinge on the individual universities in what areas they, they want to do research and so on so it probably should come the other way around where if the ministry has a targeted um, goal for example, mapping resources, then they could share the um, funding. I mean, it, it sounds ideal, but I know the implementation part, the paperwork, um, administrative side of things will be a bit more complicated. But I think that's something that can be done as a start using existing funding that we have here mm. um, to show confidence to in potential investors that, that we are serious and we could help supplement and um, continue with our intended um, work. 
Yeah, because I think, you know, a lot of people were saying that, you know, the work on the planning, um, uh, national planning as well, really needs to get started straight away um, because this is a 10-year framework and we've only got like about, what, less than eight years to implement it, isn't it? Uh, because of all the delays and everything. So we're already behind time. Uh, and, you know, as we speak, you know, we keep losing our biodiversity. We keep losing. So really, like, uh, time if time is of the essence. La. We cannot, cannot play around anymore. Well, we could never play around, la, but we, yeah, definitely cannot do that. Um, sorry? No, um, I'm just. I just wanted to highlight that our existing challenges that we already know, lessons learned, uh, in terms of implementation, we always have these federal and state, um, challenges in terms of implement implementation. So I think we can preempt what's going to happen. Um, have a good conversation and um, really worked on it rather than. Uh, we have a new set of guidelines and then when it comes to implementation, we are still facing the same institutional issues. So um, that is something that we need to look at as well. I think we need to, yes, as Jasmine says, we need to move beyond that old argument, federal, state and so on. I think we need to find better mechanisms. And and that's perhaps now part of the process we have to go through is, you know, we're looking at how do we deliver the funding? What skills do we have? How do we do mapping? Uh, you know, how do we develop plans out of these policies? Uh, and, and finding a better mechanism of, of getting state into the conversation is, is going to be part of that, um, even though it's it, it's not necessarily easy to do. Uh, I was just thinking about one more thing, which is getting companies involved. Mm. Um, the the treaty um, increases the obligations of companies, particularly large international companies, but but also others to to monitor their impact on biodiversity and reduce their impact on biodiversity. That's the first time it's been really specific in the treaty. So uh, as well as the international funding institutions, maybe we should be going and talking to some of our big corporations and saying, hey, you, you know, you, these are your impacts on biodiversity. You need to start to, uh, to help to, 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 to address these issues. Um, there, is, there are increasing moves to include biodiversity reporting alongside financial and climate change reporting. Um, so companies are coming under more and more pressure to uh, to become responsible and to take action. So that's another thing. How do we, what's the mechanism there? You know, who's mm -hmm. talking to companies? Um, uh, the the National Biodiversity Roundtable, uh, of which I'm a member, is 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 looking at impacts on businesses. Um, that's one forum, perhaps that, that that could help to to invite companies to participate and to guide their uh, their participation because we have specialists in different aspects of conservation and biodiversity. So, you know, if you're a plantations company, what are your impacts? We can help you to address that perhaps, or we can find people that can do that. So I think we should put quite some emphasis on talking to companies because they're the ones with the money. They're the ones with a business imperative to do something about this. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, the new treaty requires them to take action. So let's not forget their increasingly important and increasingly recognized role in addressing some of these issues. We've got IPCLs, IPLCs in place, that's there. We've got the companies, let's engage with them and see how they can help to address some of these issues. Mm -hmm. So the, I mean, there is going to be a COP sixteen, but I mean, like unlike the the climate negotiations, it's it's once every two years, isn't it? So I mean, what what kind of happens in the the lead up to COP sixteen? I mean, I'm sure there's lots of um, meetings happening in between, and I mean, not such a, a big scale, right? Will that be happening as well? 
so yeah, obviously they will have smaller working groups meetings. They have tons and I met so many working groups. Sometimes I get lost in them as well. <laughs> okay. So it's the first year would be to really tie in the monitoring, the assessment, the reporting procedures, even the indicators. So um, on top of the regular um, national reporting that each countries would need to be uh, would need to do anyway. Um, but yeah, is this uh, between now and the next court will be uh, discussing on the details on how how to go about it financially. Um, more importantly, monitoring um, the progress. Uh, so that involves a lot of manpower. <laughs> okay, okay, and it has to be nationally determined as well, isn't it? Nationally. Yeah, and <laughs> and this is where I come back to you know what I was saying about having a plan. Mm. Um, we have we have a draft national policy on biodiversity. It is going to be finalised when when the ministry gets around to in, 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 including some of these targets into it. But what are we actually going to go out and do in the field? You know, how are we going to find out where these ecosystems are? How are we going to? What is the mechanism going to be for uh, involving local communities? Um, sorry to keep beating the same bush, but um, it's uh, the. I think this is what I would like to hear the, the conversation change to now. Is the you know the details of the implementation, um, and. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that can make a contribution to this, NGOs like ourselves, there's other civil society organisations, that there's the CSO SDG Alliance, there's the all-party parliamentary group on the SDGs, you know, all of these things are linked together. There's a lot of willing people out there, um, and I know it's a lot to coordinate, but I think there's a lot of uh, inputs to be made from um, from organisations like those, uh, and I'd, I'd like to see how we can bring those viewpoints on board uh, to to address some of the so the targets that we need to 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 address mm-hmm. yeah so definitely a lot of um, a lot of collaboration a lot of um, yeah a lot of working together needs to happen and a lot of I guess um, meeting with people on the ground that definitely has to should have started I guess two weeks ago right as soon as the talks concluded <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I think yeah we I mean we've been criticized for taking a somewhat simplistic approach oh, it's all very well for you to sit and say that we should sign up for this ambition, we should sign up for that target and so on, but how are we actually going to make it work? Mm. Um, and and I would agree that perhaps we have been, we have taken a somewhat simplistic approach. Um, and, you know, we do recognise that these that actually implementing these things is going to be difficult. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't get on and do it. Yeah. Uh, and we would be happy to help you know, with, uh, with 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 working on that, either as, as an individual organisation, uh, working with the ministry, working through the National Biodiversity Roundtable, or the you know the other uh, organisations that are out there that can work. You know, get people working together. Let's write a plan. I can write you a little plan for the ecosystem yeah. for the marine ecosystem mapping. Right. Yeah. Uh, I can help with that. So uh, I'm sure there are other people that can help with other bits as well. Definitely. Um, so the implementation is in the hands of the ministry. Uh, quite a lot of people out there that can help to make it real. Okay, all right. I hear you loud and clear. Let's hope others do too. Uh, <laughs> um, any any other concluding messages that you'd like to uh, leave our listeners with, uh, guys? Jasmine, you want to go first? Anything? Uh, not really. Uh, I just want to re-highlight that uh, we are very glad um, that the IPLC's um, plight has been taken seriously and is already embedded in Target 3, especially um, in terms of recognising and respecting the rights of, of IPLC's over their traditional territories. So 
I'm hopeful that this 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 intention uh would be translated on the ground. Um, this has been um, echoed by the one of the Malaysian delegation, uh, Malaysia's partners of were there, so they they are, they are quite happy with the turnout of Target Three. Um, then they are looking forward for for the talks and dialogues with local residents. So again, yeah, so they are waiting for how the ministry is going to approach and start implementing this. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Jasmine. Uh, Julian, any last message you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, I'd like to see a plan emerge. Now, we've got a treaty, got some targets. Let's go through it and decide which ones are the national priorities and then plan to actually implement it over an eight-year period. As you said, we've got eight years now. So what are we going to do this year? What are we going to do next year? What are we going to do in three to five years? What's our goal for eight years hence? Um, I think having a credible plan will make it more readily funded, both locally and internationally. Um, and it will allow us to align with the treaty. Uh, it will allow us to align, you know, to, to, to include it into our national policy. Uh, but yeah, we need we need a plan now for the next eight years. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, you know, both of you. Um, you know, for everything, you know, that you've been helping us to understand for this uh, past almost one year that we've been doing this series. But of course, we're going to continue uh, talking about the issue. You know, um, I think that's important as well, right? You know, we always talk about the climate. We need to keep the focus on biodiversity as well. So we will have more discussions. Of course, I'll be bugging you guys. But my thanks to both my guests, Julian Hyde, General Manager of Reefcheck Malaysia and Jasmine Mohamed Saad, Policy Consultant of Reefcheck Malaysia. This has been Biodiversity for Malaysia. Just search for that on bfm.my. Uh, if you'd like to f- uh, listen to all our previous interviews, we've done about, I think, 10 in total uh, throughout this past year. Um, and if you miss any part of today's conversation, you can also download that podcast at bfm.my earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.